and answers the following questions. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned, it is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the term righteousness may not be fully understood all the time. We think of it as obedience, doing what God says. A good definition of righteousness is, is fulfilling our work, our family relationships, and our worship mandate that we received at creation while we live in harmony with God and our neighbor in accordance with the Ten Commandments and all this for the glory of God. So righteousness is, is, is working and living in a family and relationships and worshiping to the glory of God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And so we can only be truly righteous if indeed all our, our being is, is directed to the triune God so that we live before him with perfect peace, with a clear conscience. Ever since the fall into sin, we have been unable to be righteous because we are conceived and born in sin. And that's what we confess together. Now the situation is that even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. Well, last week as we looked at what we believe and confess in Lord's Day 23, we saw that the scriptures give a wonderful announcement. They announced that, that Christ came to pay for our sins and to live a righteous and holy life for us and in our place as our substitute. And we believe that the gospel message that Christ is now our representative before the Father so that when the Father looks at the Son, He sees us in His Son. So His obedience is counted as our obedience. And since Christ came down from heaven to fulfill all righteousness for us by living exactly as human beings were created to live, God gives everyone who believes in him the reward for his righteousness, for his perfect life. God considers every thought of Christ's human mind, every desire of his heart, and every movement of his human body to be our righteousness if we believe in him. And this is wonderful news for the Christian believer because it means that there is nothing more that we have to do in order to be saved, which is itself wonderful news because there is nothing we could do to save ourselves from God's judgment. So we confess in answer 62 of Lord's Day 24. At the same time, although even the best works in our life cannot 
earn salvation from God's judgment, they still have much value in this life for ourselves and for our neighbors. And they're also pleasing for our Heavenly Father who has adopted us in Christ to be a part of His family as His own children. So we can compare the, the movement in Lord's Day 24 that leads us, that encourages and commands us to good works, to being in a family. Although we haven't earned our place to be children in a family by the works that we have done, our good works that, that come just by being a sibling or by being a child or by being a parent, they're very good things. They bring blessing to the family. And that's what the last question of Lord's Day 24 explains. And we'll look at this truth together with Galatians 2, verses 19 to 21. So if you closed your Bibles, open them again to Galatians 2 so you can follow along with what we read there as we understand Lord's Day 24. And I preach to you this gospel under the theme that your desire to live for God is evidence of this gracious work, of His gracious work in your life. We'll see that Christ died for us so that we might live to God. Christ lives in us so that we might live to God. And Christians love to live for God. So if you have your Bibles open now and you look at Galatians chapter 2, starting at verses 19 and following through down to, to verse 21, you can see that, that in writing this, the, the Holy Spirit is, is carrying everybody who believes in Jesus Christ through the, the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. As we read the Apostle's divine instruction, we can see that he wants us to, to picture ourselves as being with Christ in all that he accomplished. In other places, Paul describes that relationship to Christ as being in him or in a covenant relationship with God in the, in the sphere of his work. From the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you are joined to Him in a most close and intimate way, which is not only described as being beside Him as a friend, but also as being part of His body. And if you are part of His body, that means the, the death of His body on the cross has ongoing benefits for you who belong to Him. And that illustration of being part of Christ's body helps us to understand the connection between Christ's death and believers today that we read about in this passage. It wasn't that when Christ died, it wasn't like he just went apart from us and gave his life as a payment for us, like, like a parent might do, leaving the children behind and going to the K-Day's ticket booth at the entrance to pay, and then later calling the, the children to, to follow him afterward to heaven and unchanged, but rather that union with Christ means that he came into our cursed world. He, he joined us to himself with the ties of true faith, and then he took us with him into a death, into death. And the special thing about sharing in the death of the Son of God is that while he bore all God's justice and the punishment of our sins, we who belong to him got to share in, in all that his payment earned. We get to share in, in all the mercy of God. And that's symbolized in baptism. You can read about that in Romans 6. We're no longer held accountable 
for the sins we committed against God's law because we were in Christ in his death. And that's what Paul means in, in, the, in the text we read together. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he, he says uh, before that, verse 19, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. When we broke the law, says Paul, Christ gave himself up in our place to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. And thus, as it were, he was carrying us through the cross with him so that we can say, I have been crucified with Christ. Through the law that punished Christ, I died to the law. The gospel message is that we would never more be punished by God for breaking the law. And the result was that when Christ died and we with him, that changed our relationship to, to our Heavenly Father. In the first place, sharing in Christ's death influences how God sees you. It influences your status before God. When you are united to Christ in his death by faith, then God looks at you as a child who has already been punished for your sins against him. A child who has been saved from eternal condemnation so that you might live with him forever in glory. And in the second place, sharing in Christ's death influences how you see the function of the law as you live now as God's redeemed children. Paul says that through the law he died to the law. And then he says, so that... I might live to God. By saying that he died to the law, he is saying that since Christ met the demands of the law, Paul is set free from condemnation that the law brings. But then by adding that this happened so that he might live to God, he makes it very clear that all those whom Christ redeemed from death might now more fully direct their lives to God's glory. Christ died to put us back on track in our mandate of family and, and work and worship in accordance with the commandments. Christ died to, to put us back on track for this, this righteous life of thanksgiving. Even after the law itself can no longer condemn us, God remains king in our lives. Christ died so that we might live to God. Dying to the law through Christ does not make it okay to now live for yourself. And to ensure that we continue to submit to our lives, Galatians 2 verse 20 goes on to announce that Christ lives in us. We see that in our second point. Galatians 2, verses 19 to 21 is filled with amazing and profound words of comfort for everyone who is united to Jesus Christ by true faith. In fact, if you read some of the biographies of some of the famous theologians and histories, many point to these verses as some of their the very favorite, the most comforting in, in all of Scripture. And, and look again at those God-breathed words 
in your hand. We read, He loved us. He loved us. He loves us. Even though we sometimes feel alone in this world, maybe this afternoon you hear, or here you, you're feeling a little alone, maybe perhaps isolated because you don't, people don't understand what you're experiencing in your life. Well, the Lord speaks into your life. He, you can hear His voice telling us that the Son of God who loves us gave Himself up for us. And He is in us. The eternal Son of God who was there when the world was created, He is in us just as we are in Him by true faith. Think of John 15 that we read together. Other passages make it clear that He is in us by the Spirit. That's a more common way of referring to the indwelling of God where He will remain forever. The payment has been made in His death. We are now temples of God Himself. We have been raised up to new life. And He is in us. Not a condemning conscience, but rather as the assurance, the guarantee of the peace that we have with God through His blood today and forevermore. Romans says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but rather, we know it, there's forgiveness, there's divine guidance, there's everlasting peace with our Creator, our Mediator dwells in our hearts. And the good news that we cling to and remember to then is that all those accusations that, that we hear from the devil in our consciences and from those who do not know the work of God in our lives, they're not actually true for anyone who has confessed their sins before God, professed their faith in Jesus Christ and love to, to walk with Him. This amazing work and this love and this nearness of God to those, those whom He has saved from eternal condemnation is not something that's just announced to us. It's not something that merely is shown to us, but this Word is something that, that changes us. This reality of Christ living in us, it, it changes who we are, what we, what we look like. You see, because the Christ living in us loves righteousness, anyone who is united to Him by faith will also love righteousness. And this is why we confess that doing good works is a necessity in the life of a Christian. That it's impossible that those who are grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. So if you are careless and if you are wicked in your life, it's not because of the teaching that Christ is your righteousness. Nor is it because of the fact that Christ lives in you. But rather it is a result of the, the failure to bow before Christ, to follow His way through His, through His Word, to follow Him in holiness. And you can see how the Holy Spirit deals with this matter in Galatians 2, verses 17 to 18. 
where he, he says, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, if, if we claim that, that Christ did everything and that claim leads us to be found sinners, does that mean that Christ is the cause of sin? Is, is, is Christ a servant of sin? Well, the answer is crystal clear. Certainly not. Christ, who loves righteousness, will never lead a person to carelessness and wickedness. When we become careless and wicked in our lives, or when we try to earn favor with God by our own works, it is we who are the transgressors for building up what Christ tore down by his work. Christ is not to blame, nor is the preaching of Christ's work to blame. Christ and righteousness are inseparable. Christ lives in us so that we might live for God. Faith and obedience are inseparable. And so that brings us to our final point that Christians long to live for God. As a result of Christ's death and indwelling, we can conclude with the apostle and the life I now live in the flesh. That means in, in, the, in the mortal body, I live by faith in the Son of God. You notice that by highlighting the flesh, the, the mortal body, the temporary body that we, we live in today, and then also by using the word faith, the apostle makes it very clear that we have not yet arrived at that perfect obedience and that perfect peace with God that we long for. We do still struggle with our sinful natures. That's why it makes us, us continue to come back to, to Jesus Christ. We still give in to temptations. We are still saddened by our sins. We confess them before the Lord because we know that we have offended our Heavenly Father. However, although we cannot see the full consequences of Christ's finished work in our own lives, we do live by faith in the promise that Christ is our righteousness. It's a blessing to be fully convinced, even, even as you're drawing near to, to your own death, to be fully convinced that when the Lord judges us, when the Lord judges you by the commandments on that final day before his throne, when he, when he looks at what he has revealed to us and he compares that to us, he won't compare, it will not be our life, but Christ's life that will count. Christ stands there as our righteousness. So God says it's not our vain attempts to, to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind that will count in the day of judgment, but it's Christ's love. It's not our on-again and off-again purity with more so many falls and so few successes, but it will be Christ's purity. Indeed, we sing it with great joy, not I, but Christ who lives in me. And as that gospel comes to us, the question is, how do we react? Well, the first thing to note is that it's not fitting to respond to God's grace by deciding to show less love to God. There are people who only focus on being saved from God's wrath, but have no interest in walking in a peaceful relationship with God and their neighbor. 
And they claim that since Christ has done everything, we no longer have to keep any of God's commandments. They might add, except for the commandment to love, which turns out to be a contradiction because all the commandments are commandments to love. But they argue that if Christ already did what we need to do to be saved, then, and we don't have to do it anymore, then why should we bother? If Christ was pure in his life for us, so that we do not need to be perfectly pure in order to be saved, why should I bother to be pure in my relationships? Maybe you heard some of these arguments that the official term for this stance is to be antinomian, to be against the law. What can we say to these people who seem to lack any urgent desire to define the expression of their love by the commandments? These people who seem to be always using the gospel of Christ's complete work as an excuse to be involved in fewer acts of worship and Christian fellowship. At first glance, their arguments may seem solid, and we might hesitate to contradict their statements that Christ has done everything because we don't want to undermine the work of Christ and leave ourselves open to the charge that, that we're too burdened by the law. But most Christians know instinctively that saying you believe in Christ but still shacking up with your neighbor or never becoming faithful members of the church, the two things don't seem to, to fit together. It doesn't seem to, to fit with following Christ, the righteous one. And if, if you're, you're feeling this, that, that feeling is, is not instinct, it's the, the Spirit helping you to, to live your life before God. If you notice that, it's because you have noticed something important, that all these arguments against the law forget. Have you seen it? The thing that anti-law that the anti-law position fails to recognize is that the Creator who gave us the law, He loves obedience to the law among His creatures. He loved it so much that He created us with hearts that want to serve Him exactly in that way. God loves purity among the people He has saved to live in, in fellowship with Him. Also, Christ, who lives in the hearts of, of Christians today, loves purity. In fact, it was our Lord Jesus Christ who taught us that the citizens of the kingdom of God, that is, those who have been saved by grace, they show evidence of God's work in their lives by hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And that's the important message, brothers and sisters. When Christ came, and when He fulfilled all righteousness. He was not undermining the place of righteous living in our relationship to God, but he was rather emphasizing its importance. When Christ came and fulfilled all righteousness, he wasn't undermining righteousness in our relationship to God, but he was emphasizing its place. Christians were adopted into the family of God so that they might live to God as his children according 
to his will. And since God's work is efficacious, God accomplishes what he sets out to do, we can be sure that every adopted child of God will certainly want to live for him. And so we come to the theme of the message this afternoon. Your desire to live for God is evidence of his gracious work in your life. Your desire to flee from sin is evidence that you have been crucified with Christ. Your love for for God's word and his instruction instead of fearing that instruction is evidence that you have faith in Christ's righteousness. And this faith in Christ is what is driving you to want to be Christ-like, which is another way of saying that this faith is, is driving you to seek to embody the fullness of God's will with all that you do, with all that you say, with every thought in your mind. In fact, we can go even further by saying that you can see that Christ is living in you because His love for the commandments of God is seen in your desire to live according to those commandments. Your pursuit of holiness in your life, and, and it's a struggle, we are in the flesh, but that your, your pursuit to be holy, your pursuit to, to live according to the commandments of God, that's such a blessing for your fellowship with, with God today and in the life to come. It proves that God loves you. And he taken his, made his dwelling in your hearts. It's evidence that God has adopted you as his child. It's evidence that he has allowed you to share in the resurrection victory of Jesus Christ for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, rejoicing in the death of Christ on our behalf and led by the Son of God who who lives in us. Let us go from here this afternoon striving in every way to be the children that God has adopted us to be, to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Christ died so that you might live for God. Christ lives in us so that we do live for God. Amen.